Canada is one of the most highly vaccinated countries in the world. But this week, you wouldn't know that from its capital city. Protesters have paralyzed central Ottawa, and the city's mayor has declared a state of emergency. Residents have complained of near-incessant honking, smashed windows, and being harassed for wearing masks. Police are now warning anyone attempting to bring gas and other supplies to the demonstrators could be subject to arrest. For more than a week now, downtown Ottawa has been taken over by anti-vaccine protests. Residents and officials say it's getting out of control. So what's at the root of the protest? And what could it mean for anti-vaccine protests worldwide? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. The Freedom Convoy, as its organizers called it, was said to be about new vaccine requirements for truckers. Truckers who cross the U.S. border now have to be vaccinated or quarantined for 14 days. But Justin Ling, an investigative journalist who visited the first weekend at protests, says there's a lot more to it than that. So you'd spent several days with the convoy in Ottawa. Tell us about what you saw. Yeah, I mean, unprecedented is probably a pretty good word to describe basically the occupation of Ottawa. Uh, It is by no means the biggest protest that has ever taken over the capital, but it is certainly kind of the most motley and disjointed and loud. The noise of the honking was just everywhere, was a slow din that was punctuated constantly by these incredibly loud bursts of these air horns. And it just kept up all day. When the convoy first started near the end of January, Justin said most people didn't know what to expect. The convoy first left from the west coast of Canada. Um, It took them nearly a week to get to Ottawa. That gives you some sense of how much driving was involved. The first leg, they traveled some 3,000 miles to make it to Ottawa. It it shut down highways. And Canada, being what it is, through large parts of, of the country, there really is only one highway that connects you from one province to the next. And when they finally got into the city, they started first arriving Friday afternoon. It was pretty clear pretty quickly just how significant this was going to be for the city. There was about 80 trucks sitting parked right in front of the parliament buildings. Dozens, if not hundreds of other trucks, vehicles, cars, campers were scattered throughout the city. Some of them were doing loops of the downtown, laying on their horn the entire time. It was just the most chaotic and noisy scene I've been in in ages. And it's driving some residents absolutely up the wall. There was a video that emerged Thursday afternoon of one jogger who looked absolutely haggard, who pulls up to one uh, of these pickup trucks and just gets right in the guy's face saying, I lost my mind because I haven't slept in five days. It has to stop. Then it stops when the government lifts the mandates. I haven't slept in five days. I am over this. Go home. 
And I think it's a sentiment that's shared by a ton of people. Now, I luckily left Ottawa, but I think my ears are still ringing from it. So it was significant, and it still is. By this Monday, February 7th, Justin said the city's tolerance for the protests had declined dramatically. And that day, an Ontario judge granted a 10-day injunction against honking in Ottawa. They've made it clear that they want these protesters gone. Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson declared a state of emergency. He's asking the federal government to try and start negotiating with these protesters to get them out. There have been legal efforts to try and get these protesters to leave. So it's very clear the patience is running out. As for the protesters, it's just as clear that they don't want to leave. They've started building structures. They tried to build a kitchen. They bought saunas to operate as as residences, as as many offices. uh, And they've sort of plowed through. Here's Tamara Leach on February 3rd. She helped organize a major fundraiser in support of the convoy. Our movement has grown in Canada and across the world because common people are tired of the mandates and restrictions in their lives that now seem to be doing more harm than good. She went on to say protests will continue until all levels of government in Canada end COVID mandates and restrictions. The protesters say they're exercising their right to peaceful protest, though there have been a few incidents, including a small fire in a building lobby that residents say they think was set by protesters. When Justin visited, what he witnessed was largely peaceful. He listened to speeches about ivermectin, the parasite medicine that's been discredited as a COVID treatment. He saw signs about George Soros, yellow stars of David reading, unvaccinated, and not a whole lot of masks. I just spent a significant amount of time standing and watching some of these speakers, right? Because there has been this debate in in Canada right now about what these protesters really stand for. There's some politicians who insist, no, 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 this is about vaccine mandates. It's not about the efficacy, the safety of vaccines. It's not about masks. It's not about anything else. This is about the government telling people they have to get vaccinated. So, you know, I went and I stood and I listened to people on stage explain what they were really there for. And they made it abundantly clear. They were there because they think vaccines are unsafe. These people were on stage saying that vaccines are medical experiments and we have to protect our children from them. I heard people question the efficacy of vaccines, basically saying it was all a scam and a ruse. They live in a different information environment. And to spend even a week just steeped in it really makes you lose your grip on reality a little bit. Which is interesting because this has been called a trucker's convoy. Yeah. So ostensibly it started with this vaccine mandate for truckers. Is that accurate? Well, actually, at its premise, this really was never about truckers. So the first thing I did when I heard that this convoy of of truckers were heading to Ottawa was to figure out who was organizing it, right? Because this sort of thing doesn't just happen uh, organically. There is an organization that has to go behind this. And it's not hard to find. One organization is called Canada Unity, and when it started, it had nothing to do with truckers. It was started by activist James Bowder, who's opposed to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and has called the pandemic the biggest political scam in history. He's called COVID-19 a pandemic. He has identified with the QAnon movement, and he is the guy that came up with this organization. 
he just lucked into something very fortunate for him, which is that this opposition to these trucker mandates was growing. His organization became a vehicle for people who were outraged about the trucker mandates, but about other mandates coming into force for nurses, for police officers, for firefighters. And it just started snowballing. And really what he assembled was a ragtag group of folks, some of whom have had ties to white supremacist movements, some of whom are just notorious anti-vaccine groups. And together, they managed to bring out thousands, if not more than 10,000 people to the Capitol. It's a wild success on his part. It's an incredibly impressive feat. But it's important to note that at the core, all of the organizers behind this are either outright anti-vaccine have a troubling history of racism and white supremacy, or at the very least working with people who do. Hmm. So interesting that those things keep seeming to be linked all over the world. So talk to me about what the security situation looked like. Yeah, so this is a really difficult thing to manage. You need just way more personnel than you normally would. As soon as you get one of these trucks to move, he just drives somewhere else and parks in a different part of the city and they take over a different area of downtown. This has been a tactic you've seen the truckers use again and again, and they're pretty upfront about it. They believe that this is an occupation that's going to continue until these vaccine mandates and all of these vaccine requirements are gone, and they're not going to listen to the Ottawa police when they ask them to leave. The Ottawa police have issued hundreds of citations and made at least seven arrests. They've also warned that anyone bringing material support to the protesters, like gas for the trucks, could be subject to arrest. But the chief of police, Peter Slowly, has said they need more officers and much higher fines to force protesters out. We have a, a serious emergency where uh, we have to put all options on the table. And that may include uh, some violence. We want to minimize that. But at the end of the day, if the people are not going to leave, they're going to have to be forced to, to leave. The fact is, short of a huge influx of personnel, the Ottawa police will not be able to clear downtown Ottawa. So we're kind of waiting for these people to give up. Beyond that, the federal government has signaled that they don't really have much of an interest in, in getting involved. They will not be sending the military. They've offered some federal policing resources. But frankly, I don't think there's a policing solution to this. Though the Ottawa police are now stepping up enforcement on traffic citations and disorderly conduct, the protests have not been violent. It's worth noting that by and large, the protesters have been very well behaved. The organizers and a ton of the attendees have been repeating almost ad nauseum, you know, don't make trouble, kill them with kindness. They don't want to give a pretext for the city or anyone else to push them out of, out of downtown, which, you know, is strategically very, very smart, you know, on their part. That being said, a ton of these people have been giving grief to the citizens of Ottawa. There have been just so many reports of these protesters catcalling, harassing, haranguing people in the city for wearing their masks. Some reports that they've used racist, homophobic, sexist language when harassing folks downtown. And I think it is really leading to a feeling of a lack of safety for a ton of the residents. For the people of Ottawa who are actually wearing their masks because they want to protect themselves from COVID, this feels kind of like an assault and attack on their day-to-day -day lives. In some ways, the convoy is a microcosm of two trends in Canada. Canada is one of the most vaccinated countries in the world, as we've said. But Canadians are getting fed up with other pandemic restrictions. In a survey at the end of January, 
A majority now say it's time to remove pandemic restrictions and let Canadians manage their own level of risk. And that's a sentiment at the protests. This convoy is all about freedom. It's not only with the truck drivers, it's actually for every single person, you, me, buddy down the road, it doesn't matter. Um, it's all about your free choice. It, that's what it should be. Like I said, if you're vaccinated, cool. You did it, well, most people did it because of work, but you know, you should do it off of free will, off of your own choice. Everything has been a lockdown, in person, lockdown again, uh, spending like days and weeks in my bedroom and then going all the way back to school and still feeling isolated. But as for COVID vaccine restrictions, Justin says, most Canadians do support those. About 80% of the country supports some form of vaccine requirements for certain sectors. About 70% support the vaccine passport system. So this, what these people are protesting, is broadly popular in this country. So Justin, you have also seen copycat groups springing up on messaging sites like Telegram. And they seem to be from all over the world. Do you think there's a chance we could start seeing convoys like this in other countries? Because we've already seen protests similar to this. I think what is so powerful about the Ottawa convoy is not actually the numbers of people who've turned out because the fact that they have trucks with them, something that can honk incessantly all day, certainly makes them seem bigger than they actually are. But I think really what's powerful about it is that it is the coming together of a bunch of disparate regional groups who have never really cooperated prior to now. This is the first time they've sort of pooled their resources and, and done a display of force um, that has benefited from their numbers. And Justin says that sentiment is starting to register abroad. There were solidarity protests this past weekend in the capitals of Australia and Finland. The Australia protests reportedly had thousands of people, and Finland had a few dozen trucks. And on Telegram, the copycat groups are spreading. Brazil, Argentina, the United States, Denmark, Finland, Poland, Sweden, the UK, the Netherlands, Germany, I can keep going on. If it can kind of keep this momentum up, this could be a significant thing you're going to start seeing in other countries, in a bunch of these countries. These people have, for whatever reason, resisted getting the vaccine, and now they're seeing real inconveniences mount in their life as a result. It's driving them to, you know, come out in support of these movements. And it's obviously leading them to donate a significant amount of money. Just the Ottawa protest alone has raised $10 million on GoFundMe. But that money soon got put on hold by the crowdfunding platform, citing a violation of terms of service. $1 million had already been released. But GoFundMe said the remainder, about $9 million, is going to be refunded or distributed to charity. But the international interest is there, and Justin expects to see more. I do think this might be proof positive for anti-vaccine groups abroad, that if they really want to have an impact, they need to disrupt daily life, and they need to do it in one city in particular. So I want to talk about what this has to do with politics, how it's potentially influencing it or the other way around. On February 2nd, Wednesday, there was a pretty big shift in Canadian politics. Aaron O'Toole, the leader of the Conservative Party, the opposition, was ousted by other members of his party. The convoy was kind of a political conundrum for O'Toole. So how did he react to it? 
So initially, Aaron O'Toole sort of wrung his hands, I think clearly recognizing that there is a threat to throwing his lot in with a bunch of folks who want to topple the Canadian government, who want all vaccine requirements gone, who want the freedom to be unvaccinated. So obviously, the Conservative Party has a tough line to walk here. Their supporters, by and large, are vaccinated, by and large, are pro-vaccine. Several of uh, the premiers who have enacted the vaccine mandates are themselves conservative. So the protesters were uh, organizing in opposition to his party in many respects. At the same time, as Aaron O'Toole was sort of uh, on the fence, several of his members of parliament came out enthusiastically endorsing the convoy, you know, standing on overpasses, waving at the trucks as they went by, which really pushed Aaron O'Toole to enthusiastically come out and support them. But it was a little bit too little too late. Aaron O'Toole has faced a challenge to his leadership for a number of months now. There was a vote and he lost resoundingly. That party now has a really difficult path ahead. They really need uh, to stay moderate in order to attract the vast majority of the Canadian public. So this convoy has become a fault line for that party. And it is really indicative of how hard it is to lead that party. So finally, for outsiders looking in on this convoy and what it could mean for Canadian politics, what do you think other governments or other conservative parties might take away from this? Yeah, I, it's, it's a really difficult question. I think there has to be some contemplation that y- you, know, you have to accommodate these people in one way, shape, or form. That does not necessarily mean you have to repeal uh, the vaccine mandates. Uh, but finding new ways to convince these people that the vaccines are safe, I think, is, is clearly the most, uh, the most useful um, way of going about things. I think really a lot of governments need to start putting an end date on some of this stuff uh, because I think there is there probably are people out there uh, who are generally supportive of the vaccines but who don't trust the government and don't see an end to the mask mandates, don't see an end to the lockdown measures or the vaccine passports. And while it can be really hard to put a firm uh, time and date on some of this stuff, I think it'll make it a lot harder for those, you know, dogged anti-vaxxers to go into public and say, this is all about control. This is about tyranny. They're going to do this for the rest of our lives. I think if you can give people hope that that we're almost around that corner, I think that really takes the wind out of the sails for a lot of these uh, anti-vax agitators. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Alexandra Locke with Nagin Oliai. Priyanka Tilve, Ruby Zeman, Ney Alvarez, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya Elmilek is the engagement producer. And Stacey Samuel is executive producer. We'll be back on Friday. <laughs>